Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. The Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. We have Howard Safer, the former police commissioner of New York, joining us talking about the security problems at the Capitol on Wednesday and what they should have learned and how they, where they should go from here. Ian Bremmer, if anybody who has, if there's anyone in America with a better understanding of how America is perceived around the world, uh, I don't know who it is. Ian Bremmer is probably the best in the business. His uh, his newsletter is a must read. And we'll talk about where America is right now and the, what the world thinks about the mayhem that we saw on Wednesday. And, of course, take your calls. Uh, and you can always listen to us on BrianKillMeShow.com. You get the podcast on iTunes, iHeart, and, of course, on Spotify now. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It would be much better to move quickly and end up vaccinating some lower-priority people than to let vaccines sit around while states try to micromanage this process. No kidding. You would think that goes without saying. Pick up the pace. The vaccines are here. Can Cuomo and company start using it at this rate three years for herd immunity? Oh, and suddenly Anthony Fauci tells us China lied about the virus, and because they did, we could not possibly mount a defense. We thought we were defending SARS. Instead, we got COVID-19. Is that not exactly what the Trump team has been saying? Number two. The President of the United States incited an armed insurrection against America. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the Vice President to remove this President by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. What a clown. Bring us together, right? Showing no leadership but partisanship. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumerless call for the president's ouster and move on impeachment. Hey, geniuses, he's gone in 13 days. This is Joe Biden cites race as the reason rioters were able to get into the Capitol. How does this help bring down the temperature in America? We all know the entire party watched silently as the riots raged uh, raged in the spring and summer, and now the Democrats are demanding law and order? Really? Number one. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. President made a speech that probably should have came 24 hours earlier. The fallout from the Capitol invasion is widespread. It is impactful. Faces and names of the rioters are emerging. Security officials resigning. And the Trump team members head for the exits. Can the president's concession yesterday and a call for unity save his legacy? And I think so. A couple of things. I have no patience for the Trump team who is resigning. Elaine Chow, I just, on principle, I'm going to leave 13 days earlier. Not when he attacked your husband uh, when he was off in his first two months in office. He stayed there. You stayed there through all the controversy in Charlottesville, all the controversial tweets. 
You sat there and did a really good job as transportation secretary. I never heard any complaints except praise. You've been on this show before talking about how two powerful men often butt heads. But now that is where the rubber hits the road. Betsy DeVos, the most controversial, perhaps least qualified secretary of education the president named and then took slings and arrows for. She can't take it anymore. She's leaving in 13 days. Now, you know what you're doing? And, and there's about 11 others. The only thing you're doing, I, Stephanie Grisham wasn't missed anyway. Sarah Matthews, deputy press secretary. Mick Mulvaney, special envoy to Northern Ireland. Uh, not that any, if that was a vital position, I would be as critical of Mick Mulvaney. But no one cares about Northern Ireland anyway. Ryan Tully, senior director of European Russian Affairs. Matt Pottinger, if you are there for the right reasons, you do not leave. Because you're there for public service. You're there to help a transition. You're there to help say, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm not working on. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm not worried about. I know you have a new agenda, but you're probably going to have to deal with this. This is the schedule for Senate hearings, uh, House hearings. No patience for that. Uh, The other thing is this 25th Amendment, and now they're moving for impeachment. Nancy Pelosi will move for impeachment quickly, and then they're going to go in the Senate, which is now 50-50, and according to some, they think they have 67 votes to oust the president. What, a week early? But you know the procedures that go along with the debates that will go along with that. You remember how long and tedious it was? You think it's going to be any different this time? She wants a quick impeachment to get him out a week early? Are you kidding? If you want to bring the country together, please tell me how that helps. Impeachment. Impeachment. I am totally against that rally that he had outside the White House. I was totally against show strength by going down to the Capitol. I do not think the president of the United States wanted anyone to breach security and have five people dead. This would have been done in a few hours, and I wasn't for the big protest. Joe Biden won the election. There might have been problems, but that's the system we had. The legal challenges took place. They didn't work. Here's Dan Crenshaw, cut six. Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley were not hyping up January 6th. They were not calling for people to fight in the streets. They were not saying this was our last stand. That being said, many members of Congress did do that. Many commentators did do that. Many in the media have been doing that for the last few weeks, constantly, saying this is our time to fight. And let me tell you something very clearly. They've been lying to people. They've been lying to millions. They've been lying that January 6th was going to be this big solution for election integrity. It never was going to be. Okay. And and I agree with that. I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me on the streets that don't know me that that are supportive of Fox and and this show. And they'll say, hey, Brian, how you doing? Uh, And I'm talking about college educated. I'm not talking about people that aren't included in that obviously are well read. What are his chances? What are his chances? Guy lost. They're unable to prove what happened in Pennsylvania, unable to prove what happened in Arizona, unable to prove what happened in Georgia, unable to prove what happened in Wisconsin, unable to prove that something bad happened in Michigan. There were problems, but not enough. There were problems with our system needs to be looked at. We need to fix these states like we did Florida, but not enough. So I, was, I thought it was the president was right on the money yesterday, and I thought Joe Biden up until yesterday was on the money. But then yesterday, inciting and talking about his attorney general, he comes out and says race played a role 
and the lack of security in the Capitol? Cut 26. No one can tell me that if it had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently. Okay. You could, I could tell you this. If you read the accounts of what happened, they thought there'd be 20,000, there was 60,000, and I think there was more, number one. Number two, this was all scheduled, and if you read the Washington Post, you see the accounts of the Washington Times, the, the, uh, the Capitol Police, the one screwed up, we didn't provide enough security, number one. The Defense Department offered, but they didn't want to show a big military presence there, and the Capitol Police said, we got this. They didn't. They didn't expect problems because the Trump people don't usually give problems. That was wrong. No one said they're white. There's no problem. And if you do think that, do a study on it. Tell me what you concluded. But to sit there in your 17-second address, bring that up, shows you that he is not close to bringing people together. You don't bring people together by going with your hypothesis, not moored in facts about race being involved in riots in which people breached security, black and white people were running, Republicans and Democrats were targeted, five people lost their lives, and now you don't think we remember the spring and the summer when Joe Biden said nothing about the rioters, they cared more about Jacob Blake then cared about what happened in Kenosha after, never visit the damaged hulk of buildings that were burned out, never did, never commented on Milwaukee except for the racial problems in this country, not the storming of the police station. What would happen 225 straight days of protests in Portland and now you're the party of law and order and the media too? Let's look back over the last four months, cut 28. That ain't a riot, what we're seeing right now in Minneapolis. What we're seeing right there is frustration. Do not get it twisted and think that, oh, this is some something that has not never happened before and then this is so terrible. Shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? People will do what they do. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's a myth. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite. And peaceful. They're not going to let up, and they should not. This is a mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started. There was a raging fire behind him. How Ali Veshi was able to keep his career after that, I don't know. So please save the law and order. What I give Republicans credit for is doing the obvious. You would think it's obvious. And that is saying how outraged they are what happened. A lot of them condemning President Trump uh, for not conceding defeat, for saying show strength by going down there, Rudy Giuliani, uh, by using the terms he used, and Don Jr. as well. So they're saying that was wrong. But I don't hear Democrats saying it's wrong. In fact, Democrats during uh, Democrats in the past have incited violence against Trump, beginning with Madonna on his inauguration day. When we come back, Howard Safer, does he believe race played a role and the lack of security at the Capitol. And then Ian Bremmer. And then we'll finish up with your calls. A lot to go over. They're moving ahead with impeachment. And I couldn't be more horrified by it. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I worked on the Hill for a number of years for the FBI, and that, that place is a sieve. There's way too many entrances. Um, it's supposed to be the people's house. It's not supposed to be a fortress, but now we have a changing uh, civilization, and they need to close down. Let's say one thing, though. I know the Capitol Police are taking a lot of hits. They protected those members. They didn't protect the building, but there are a lot of pe- members up there who are back, very, very fragile, and had they confronted uh, these uh, rioters, think of the injuries that would have occurred. So they, they acted mm-hmm. valiantly. Not well prepared, but they acted with heroism, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the ones that were there were there, uh, did great, uh, it looks like, although they did give up the perimeter reportedly. Uh, but uh, what about the ones that weren't, and why weren't they asked? Howard Safer is New York City's police commissioner from 96 to 2000 and fire commissioner from 94 to 96, and he's the CEO of Vigilant Resources International, uh, very well-respected in law enforcement security business. So, uh, Commissioner, what could you tell us about what you saw from a security perspective on Wednesday besides being horrified? Well, horrified is correct. It was a tragedy for both the nation and law enforcement. Clearly, it was an intelligence and a operational disaster. Uh, they should have had a perimeter way far away from the Capitol building, uh, similar to what they did after 9-11, and they did not. And people have to be responsible. The Washington Post says uh, that they thought the protesters would march on the Capitol, but their track record essentially was that they don't really aren't really violent. So... They uh, assessed, did the Capitol Police. They decided to trust the assurances of the Capitol Police, uh, according to officials, that they could uh, uh, handle the situation with the people that they had. Quote, I can see no situation where the cops can't handle it. They went on to say the disaster didn't sneak up on the Defense and Justice Department and the mayor's office. They saw it approaching, but they thought six to 8,000 law enforcement officers available were adequate to handle the problem. Why weren't they? Well, obviously, it was an issue of tactics. Uh, They had all of their resources very close to the Capitol so that when the mob approached, uh, they they didn't have rules of engagement. They didn't have backup forces. I mean, think about what we do in New York City. Uh, We have New Year's Eve uh, every year, and we deal with it because we have the proper tactics. We also have a large reserve force should something get out of hand that is a tactical force to deal with any kind of violence. This was, this was clearly 
an assumption that because these individuals were Trump supporters, that they were not going to do anything violent. You have to know that when you're dealing with thousands and thousands of human beings, there are going to be nuts and crazies and criminals, and that's exactly what happened. This was, this was a total disaster. I've never seen anything like it. You know, something the general said, he said, I can't believe this breakable glass on the building. I mean, why are you able to break that glass and get in? Right there, there's a, something built in, which is going to be impos- almost impossible to defend on buildings uh, that side unless you push back the perimeter with those uh, those fences that are impossible to scale. How about this? The FBI underestimated the number of protesters. They thought 20,000. They got about 60,000. They say part of the problem, the Capitol Police didn't stand their ground at the perimeter of the Capitol itself, and the mayor was slow to request additional troops from the D.C. National Guard. Um, and that well, is just a series of, of bad judgments. I, I think all of that is true, but I think the other thing we have to look at is who protects the Capitol and, and how politicized are the Capitol Police, the sergeants at arms, and are they people who spend most of their time tending to the congressmen rather than looking at their real law enforcement requirements? And, you know, there are lots of great Capitol Police officers, but I do know that both the sergeants of arms of both houses are totally political and not based necessarily on ability or background. I'm talking to uh, former Police Commissioner Howard Safer. Kamala Harris, who's going to be vice president in two weeks, said this, cut 27. We witnessed two systems of justice. When we saw one that let extremists storm the United States Capitol and another that released tear gas on peaceful protesters last summer. We know this is unacceptable. And Joe Biden added some color to this. Cut 26. No one can tell me that if had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently. What's your thought on that? I I think they're totally wrong. The fact is, if you think about the country that was established in Portland and in Seattle by the protesters with the chops of the mayors of both cities, when you think of how the leftist mayors in this country let the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa individuals take over their cities, that's absolutely untrue. What happened yesterday was, or the day before, was that they let these people get too close And they tried their best to deal with it, but they weren't equipped. They weren't trained properly. They didn't have the right rules of engagement. Our Capitol policemen were let down because they were put in a position where they didn't have the resources to deal with what they should have known was coming to be with. Cut 30. We we live in two Americas. Prime example of that yesterday. And if you... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Don't understand that or don't see that after seeing what you saw yesterday, then you you really um, need to take a step back, not even just one step, maybe four or five or even ten steps 
backwards um, and ask yourself what what how, how do you want your your kids or how do you want you know your grandkids how do we want America to be viewed as because yesterday was not it LeBron James weighing in saying that he left his house every day scared of police and he said if those were blacks that wouldn't have happened if they they were mostly whites so they were allowed to get into the perimeter I'm just befuddled real quick commissioner about how we put race into this well, you know, the fact is, one, you know, Le- LeBron James is a great uh, law enfo- is a great basketball player, but he knows very little about law enforcement. But we need we need to change the narrative. We need to change the narrative from defund police, all cops are bad, all cops are racist, to making sure that we have well trained, well funded yep. cops who interact with the communities in the right way. Commissioner, thank you. Well, unfortunately, I'm up against a break, but thanks so much for your insight. Ian Bremmer next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What President Trump has uh, been saying about that has been uh, completely wrong. And I, and I un- unreservedly uh, condemn uh, encouraging people to behave in the disgraceful way uh, that they did in the Capitol. And that is Boris Johnson of the U.K. commenting on the U.S. Unbelievable. The last time we had that type of chaos, the U.K. was responsible. That was the enemy. But as our enemy from within, as I bring in Ian Bremmer, president and founder of the Eurasia Group, uh, G Zero Media, you could follow him at uh, Ian Bremmer. Uh, Ian, you always have this great perspective from the inside out, has the, or the outside in. How's the world view us? And then one quick stat that I think stands out is when asked, Trump voters, when asked, is Joe Biden the legitimate winner of the 2020 election? 82% said no. Now, I don't care what you think of Trump voters. It's going to be hard to govern with with that stat valid, how does how does that challenge Joe Biden? Or does he just ignore them? Well, I mean, two very different questions. So around the world, uh, everyone has accepted that Biden's won the election pretty much from day one, and they called to congratulate. There were a few countries that were holdouts for various domestic reasons, um, but you know they're, they're ready to work with the incoming administration. And the the conversations I've had with world leaders in the past two days since the events that played out in the Capitol building um, are, you know, dismay. And, you know, you can say that that's actually um, a a positive in the sense that they they actually they don't they haven't written us off. They expect more from us. They know we can be better than this. You know, with China and Russia, it wouldn't be dismay. It'd be, oh, yeah, yet another thing. Um, But also they're asking, what are the consequences going to be? You know, as if, you know, an event like this can't stand. So you have to do something as if, you know, maybe maybe he resigns or he gets convicted or there's a 25th Amendment. And, and of course, I don't think any of those things are actually going to happen. In fact, I think that this is going to be somewhat normalized. I think our elections will become more divisive over time. And that leads to your second question, Brian, which is how does Biden lead the country? I mean, he continues to say, I'm going to run the country for everyone. I'm going to reach across. I'm the president, whether you voted for, you, for me or not. But I mean, no one's arms are wide enough to reach across the expanse of Dems versus Republicans 
not to mention the expanse of the progressive versus centrist wing of the Democratic Party itself. And, and I don't think any of that goes away um, once Biden becomes president and actually takes office in just less than two weeks' time. Yeah, one thing I was hopeful for, Ian, is that when they made those speeches, and Mitch McConnell made those speeches even before the march on the Capitol, he said, listen, I'm not for this. Joe Biden's the president. And, you know, when they were waiting for the Senate to come in to find out who's going to be in control of the Senate and the remarks from Joe Biden since he won, he's not calling out Trump at all, going out of his way and trying not to be uh, divisive like the campaign. I thought maybe people are maybe compromise could be in. Maybe this is a maybe this is a pathway to compromise. But then when I saw the 25th Amendment talk and the impeachment talk come through, that's not going to help anybody. He's leaving in two weeks and that's just going to get everyone incensed again. Well, I mean, look, I, 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 first of all, I agree with that broad point, but you would have to also add to it the fact that you still had a majority of sitting Republicans in the House come out and vote to oppose the electors um, after, on the night of, of the insurrection of the Capitol. And even half of the senators that said that they were going to still supported it. So, I mean, if, if you want to take your point to its natural conclusion, you don't want to see the 25th Amendment. You also don't want to see any of those votes. Everyone should have said, OK, let's just go forward. And, you know, you're right. There are a number of Democrats today that aren't prepared to go forward. And Josh Hawley and, and a majority of Republicans in Congress aren't prepared to just go forward. This The toxicity is so much deeper than that. And of course that has an effect on America's ability and willingness to lead uh, all around the world. I mean, Biden says he wants to bring America back, but you can't bring America back if Americans ourselves don't think we're back, don't believe that we have a functional democracy. And today, the United States has the most divided and dysfunctional political system of all of the major advanced industrial democracies. Now, you know, it pains me to say that, but what we've seen play out this week from the Democrats and Republicans, you couldn't see that in Germany or Japan or Canada or France or even the UK, even through their Brexit process. And that, it's going to take us a long time to dig out of that. Yeah, I, I personally don't think so. But here's Angela Merkel, cut 12. A basic rule of democracy is after the election, there are winners and losers. Both have to play their role with decency and responsibility so that democracy itself remains the winner. I regret very much that President Trump did not admit defeat in November and again yesterday. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I said it yesterday. Since November 5th, when it became clear President lost, I think he did more damage to his legacy than anything else. Kim Strassel writes about it today, and the result was losing the Senate. No doubt about it. Uh, I think in life, as especially in politics, how you lose really defines who you are. And George Bush, 41, I thought did it the best. And we got those tapes released yep. years later when he talked about the pain of losing and how he let his family down. It was the same pain that Trump feels, only Trump did it outward. And Bush, 41, put his hand out. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't so, agree more. I, I mean, this is this is absolutely uh, Trump has done enormous damage to his own personal legacy. And and yet uh, the number of Americans that continue to support Trump, 
irrespective for whom he can do no wrong, remains very significant. Believe me, they've been blasting me for 48 hours. Yeah, I still think. I still think that that will be the case. And I think that's absolutely why so many Republicans are publicly still sticking with it. So we're talking with Ian Brammer, and and here's what changes. Uh, We absolutely have a vaccine, and it absolutely works, and we're going to get a Johnson & Johnson single shot soon. And we have the apparatus. We're just figuring out how to do it. It's off to a slow start, clearly the vaccine. When you get the vaccine and we can get back to just not even an accelerated economy, back to the last economy, back into the restaurants, back into work, back on the trains, back on the buses, back on the planes, back to tourism, just that. I'm not asking for any uh, magic bullets. You know, we don't need a rediscovery of a dot-com industry. Just go back doing to what we're doing. This place is going to feel a lot better. And if we could get this thing called deals, a couple of deals done on a COVID package, number one. Number two, on something on immigration where both sides give in a little. I think it could build on each other because the bones, the, 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 the framework is still there. Personalities are getting in the way. Where am I wrong? Uh, the, the, the problems in the United States are not economic. They're fundamentally political. We have the money to dig ourselves out of this, and we have the vaccines. You're absolutely right. And, I mean, the reason the markets have done so fantastically well, despite all of the Sturm und Drang of the last few days, is because they know that with Biden and a 50-seat Senate, uh, you get $3 trillion of stimulus. Now, there are a lot of Republicans that don't like $3 trillion of stimulus, but that does mean a lot of aid for red and blue states together. It means a lot of money for workers, irrespective of who they voted for. And given the depths of this economic hit, which has been borne overwhelmingly on the back of people that aren't college educated, aren't in the knowledge economy, that's going to help. Now, it's just a Band-Aid, but it's a big Band-Aid for the world's wealthiest economy with the global reserve currency. And we can continue to borrow, at least in the near to medium term, without much direct consequence. And that gives us some breathing space to create some of the deals that you're talking about. So I I don't think that this is hopeless for the United States at all. Um, But I think the divisions are very real and the ability for the politics to continue to get in the way, especially because Biden comes in. Yes, we have a vaccine, but it's going to take some time. And a lot of people are hurting and suffering. And a lot of people are still not going to see him as a legitimate president. Remember, you started off by saying, you know, 80 percent of Trump voters think that this guy, Biden, stole the election. I don't think that's going to go away. And there was a fair amount of that that thought that Trump stole the election with the help of the Russians and said that he was not my fair? president. Half I think second. a lot of that people wasn't helpful either. never a accepted lot. him. A lot of people That's never right. accepted him. So and I think that, and that, that can't get normalized, Brian. If that gets normalized through every election in the United States, we don't have a functional democracy. I know. He's not my president. Is not something I want to hear. And I mean that. Uh, and, That's right. And, and it just – it's not helpful. And if there is a problem, for example, obviously years later we found out there was a problem in the Nixon-Kennedy election. But he looked at everything and said it doesn't help the country if I demand a recount. It doesn't help the country if I, if I refuse to acknowledge this or try to get uh, Eisenhower to say he's not really the president, even though he insulted Eisenhower during the campaign. So okay. I want to I bring you to another area in which you outline in your brilliant newsletter, uh, the U.S.-China tensions. 
That is real. They do want to supplant us. They did give us this virus. They never leveled with us during it. They still haven't told the WHO how it started. They still are putting up roadblocks. They are responsible for the fact that we couldn't come up. According to Anthony Fauci, they are solely responsible for the fact that we were not ready with tests because we did not know about asymptomatic spread. We thought we were dealing with SARS. And they are seemingly the first to recover. So... In a party that usually makes a, it does not emphasize defense, and I'm being kind, how are we supposed to send a message to China that we're willing to take on this fight? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, just in the last couple of days, the Chinese government refused to allow the World Health Organization inspectors yep. into the saw country. That, that. And then they're arresting all of these uh, Democrats in Hong Kong uh, while everyone's focusing on what's happening in the Capitol building in the United States. Look— this is an adversary. It is the principal competitor of the United States. But unlike the Soviets, unlike the Russians today, uh, there's also massive economic interdependence between our two countries and very strong interest in both countries that would that would really get hurt. And the average American really gets hurt if we suddenly say we're cutting these guys off. So it's harder to navigate. But I, I have no question in my mind that on big, big issues like uh, human rights like Hong Kong and Taiwan and the South China Sea and trade and technology and intellectual property and cyber attacks, that the Biden administration is going to be every bit as hawkish as the Trump administration has been. No, Biden's not going to tweet about it. He's not going to call it the China flu. But this is one of the very few issues, thank goodness, out there that has bipartisan agreement. The Democrats and Republicans overwhelmingly accept that these are big problems that we have ignored for too long. And, uh, and when Biden first ran for president, he, he, he said, ah, what are you talking about? China's not such a big deal. He got pilloried for that, including by his own party. Got up to speed fast. He's not saying that now. I hope so. Uh, the other thing that I'm so disappointed in, uh, Ian Bremmer, is that Europe, the EU, is cutting a trade deal with China They were acting so tough. They were talking about uh, the responsibility. They know that they are solely responsible for poisoning their peninsula and the second and third wave that still exists, and they go and cut a trade deal with them? So I didn't like it. I didn't like it, but let me me at least put it in some context. Number one, the United States uh, announced a phase one trade deal with the Chinese under the Trump administration with the same understandings of what the Chinese were doing. And the Europeans look at that and say, "Okay, uh, that well, was before the virus. So. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. But still, but the level of what the Chinese were doing to us was happening at the same time in terms of all the espionage and all the refusal to allow us access to the tech market. And da, 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 right. So that's that's number one. Number two, um, the belief that the Chinese are actually going to make good and implement all of uh, what they promised on on this deal with the Europeans, in my view, is very, very low, which means the Europeans will be disappointed and can walk away from it. And it wouldn't surprise me if they do. So there's an opportunity. But still, having said both of those things, Uh pragmatic, Uh less believing in the United States than she would have before, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago when she first came to office. And the Chinese, seeing that Biden's coming in and saying, we better give them more to get this deal done. And our principal allies around the world in Europe decide that they're going to go and do this deal. It's not a, it's absolutely a bad news story overall. No question. 
Ian Bremmer, putting it all in perspective, uh, president and founder of the Eraser Group and G Zero Media. If people want to get your uh, your newsletter, Ian, how do they get it? Uh, you should uh, follow us on gzeromedia.com, and you can sign up for our public newsletter. It's called Signal. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, Ian, thanks so much. Hey, take it easy, Brian. One, you got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm back with you in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look at them. They're high-fiving each other for this deplorable display of of completely unpatriotic, completely against law and order, completely unconstitutional behavior. It's stunning. And they're going to go back, you know, to the Olive Garden and to the Holiday Inn that they're staying at and the Garden Marriott and... They're going to have some drinks, and they're going to talk about the great day that they had in Washington, and they really did something and stand up for something. And they stood up for nothing other than mayhem. Sorry if we have to go back to a Garden Marriott and an Olive Garden. Why? You were insulting them? Uh, unbelievable. So everybody hates the rioters. But I didn't mind the, uh, those people that showed up for President Trump at some of the 74 million, 60,000. Most of those people are great people. I'm sorry if they all weren't born to Gloria Vanderbilt's family. Uh, I'm sorry that they weren't uh, ultra-rich on the Upper West and East Side. I apologize if they haven't visited hundreds of countries, thousands of countries, thousands of cities, I should say. It's unbelievable, the unaware arrogance. But you get that on New Year's Eve, by the way. Anderson Cooper, this premier anchor, drinking shots on New Year's Eve on international television. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Vice President Pence expected to attend Joe Biden's inauguration. Three sources close to Pence said he would likely make the appearance on January 20th. The decision to attend would have been tough, but now he's in that good old battle with the President of the United States. Quote, I have not yet made a decision on their, uh, to, on their attendance, says his spokesperson, Devin O'Malley, but look for him to go. He's a traditionalist. Next. Joe Biden has tapped Isabel Guzman to lead the SBA. Biden has tapped uh, Boston Mayor uh, Walsh is labor secretary. That's Marty Walsh. And he has asked Gina Raimondo for to be commerce chief. Uh, he is she is uh, the Rhode Island's governor and a little bit controversial. The first woman to be governor of a state. Her background is in uh, of that state and her background is in venture capital. Uh, next college football coach got fired after he tweeted out something derogatory about Stacey Abrams. He said, she said, he said this, it's out of control. Congratulations to the state, Georgia, and Fat Albert, Stacey Abrams, because you truly shown America the true works of cheating in an election again. Enjoy the buffet, big girl. You earned it. Hope the money was good. Still not governor. He got fired. Allison, that is not a surprise. Or Pete. That is not, that is not a surprise. He should know better, you know, than being in a position of prominence and calling someone fat on Twitter. You just don't need to go there. Yeah, you don't. But everyone calls the president obese, fat, including the speaker. 
But I, know, I do think it's right. you're right, and I don't think that's right. A little shocking that somebody would be that aware. But I always wonder when I see something like that, were they drinking a little bit? Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Heard for you. Coming to you from New York. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can get us on Spotify. Get us on iTunes. Get us on iHeart. And, of course, on BrianKilmeadeShow.com. And I'm very fortunate to have a huge family of affiliates, which I hope you're listening to right now. Uh, so much going on. We're hearing that Pat Cipollone might be the next person on the Trump team to call it quits with 12 days left, which I find absolutely ridiculous. You're there to serve the country. What are you bowing out for with 12 days left? Trump is Trump. I think since November 5th, uh, been his three worst weeks or six worst weeks. I get it. We've talked about it. But either you leave, don't take the job, leave earlier. Not with two weeks left. No one's going to appreciate it. All you're doing is hurting the transition. We'll talk about that. one 408 7669 I see Mick Mulvaney is going to be on Fox News Sunday. He's somebody who left his post on Northern Ireland. Uh, he was former OMB director, former chief of staff. I get it. But Northern Ireland leaving, that's a symbol. No one really cares about Northern Ireland's uh, envoy. But when you're a key lawyer, would you want to show our enemies vulnerability? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It would be much better to move quickly and end up vaccinating some lower priority people than to let vaccines sit around while states try to micromanage this process. Like, for example, New York. Pick up the pace. The vaccines are here. Can Cuomo and company start using the vaccine? At this rate, three years it'll take to get herd immunity. That's not an exaggeration. Oh, and suddenly Anthony Fauci tells us China lied about the virus, and because they did, we could not possibly mount an effective defense of a testing and actually a therapeutic for the virus. Is that not exactly what Donald Trump was saying? Number two. The president of the United States incited an armed insurrection against America. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. Uh, Excuse me, isn't she in that party that's supposed to bring us together, showing no leadership but only partisanship? Pelosi and Chuck Schumer call for the president's ouster and are moving on impeachment. Yeah, these geniuses uh, know there are 13 days left and still they want this. This is Joe Biden's cites race as the reason rioters were able to get into the Capitol. How does this help bring down the temperature in America, which you said you want to do? Number one. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. Well, that is the president yesterday. The fallout from Capitol Hill invasion is widespread and it's impactful. Faces and names of the rioters are emerging, security officials resigning, and the Trump team members head for the exits. Can the president's concession yesterday, you heard some of it, and a call for unity, save his legacy? 
Joining us now, Geraldo Rivera, Fox News uh, correspondent at large, author of The Geraldo Show. Uh, and you see him all over Fox Nation as well, which you can see us on now. Geraldo, you liked that speech yesterday. I know that. Oh, I definitely did. I just think it was uh, two or three days late. What could he do in the next two weeks? I think that uh, uh, – what's the general's name that follows me? Uh, Jack Keane. Uh, I thought he had a brilliant idea that uh, Melania and the president should invite Dr. Jill and President-elect Biden to the White House uh, for lunch, uh, just to uh, the traditional kind of welcome, show them around the building. This is your bedroom. This is where the secretary sits. This is the Lincoln desk. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know the kind of traditional, genteel. Uh, mannered, cultivated, cultured, generous, graceful kind of welcome to the successor that, uh, uh, you know, that, that George Bush showed Barack Obama and uh, Barack Obama, to a lesser extent, showed uh, Donald Trump. Right. And we know how the transition was br- uh, brilliant, uh, even according to Barack Obama in his brand new book with Bush. Uh, and I'm not too sure how strong the uh, the handover was between Obama and Trump. Everything was so atypical about that. But they did not have one day of peace, and it hurt the country. Obviously, this president. This is so important. I thought Joe Biden's tenor since he got the job, won the election, has been strong. But the only part I did not like was when he said this yesterday about the riots. Cut 26. No one can tell me that if had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently. Do you feel differently than me when I say that race had nothing to do with the security breaches? I don't know if, uh, if race is the, is the definer, but there's no doubt but that the president coddled that crew, that group. And he, even after the... But what about the race being, thing? Even after the obscene defacing of the Capitol, the president was still kind and telling them that he loved them and to go home in peace. Now, I want everyone listening now to picture exactly what happened. But I want you to substitute the people clawing up the walls and sitting and squatting in Nancy Pelosi's office and carrying a confederate. Put black faces on them. I think that the president-elect is exactly right, Brian. I tweeted as soon as I saw it. What'd you Imagine say? Imagine if these were Black Lives Matter. What that is the difference? A, the be, there's outrage around the world. On, the Capitol Police would have been much more on guard. Uh, the uh, uh, the Metro Police would have no, they would have reinforced the perimeter. They never would have let that mob smash through windows. There would have been gunshots. I I think that if there were if, gunshots because. Because of the history we have of race riots, including the recent race riots this summer, uh, there's no doubt, in my mind at least, as a native New Yorker and having grown up and uh, the Newark uh, situation and uh, Harlem and, uh, you know, seeing why. But but Geraldo. uh, and covering uh, the uh, the Rodney But King you're missing the reasons why. The you're, you're missing the reasons why. You've been in a lot of Trump rallies. They're not violent unless they're confronted by an opposition group. And that is why the intelligence assessment among Capitol Police and the mayor, who's black, was, I believe, I'm not giving them an excuse because they were not ready and there's no excuses for it. 
But it wasn't because they were black. The Black Lives Matter protests have end, have shown us for the last eight months, almost all of them end in violence. That's why we have hulks of cities, including this one, which you used to live in. They're all boarded up as you go to the Midtown Tunnel. Still from those riots, most of which were Black Lives Matter's riots. No, I, I imagine that I, they I were preparing black- to... They were not, for stupidly, they were not predicting violence because the Trump people don't have a history of violence. Well, I, I think that you're, you're saying the same thing in a less inflammatory way, perhaps. But I do believe the response would have been much different if those were black faces instead of white faces. But I just I mean, think that's he, my opinion. That's yeah. my opinion based on uh, – I, I have as much experience in urban disorder as any man alive, any man or woman alive in this country. I'm 50 – my, my 51st year, I've probably covered 50 of them or more, plus lived through them as a street lawyer. And I know how cops respond – uh, when there, when there is that uh, that feeling that it, there's a when there's the the race aspect to it, uh, with all the history, the bad history that's come down, I think that it would have been a much different response. I, I, well, by Biden, Biden portrays it as uh, as if the if the black people came, the, you know, in their picnic outfits, uh, you know, it, that's not the the reality of uh, of the urban disorders that we've seen. Right. If they, if they stormed the Capitol, uh, there would have been uh, bloodshed everywhere, I think. Oh, I mean, there was bloodshed. They would have had the same response if they had the same number of people. Here's what David Ignatius wrote. Uh, David Ignatius wrote today in talking to his sources on Washington, you could argue that he's been there forever and they really respect him. He says, the officials who planned for Wednesday's pro-Trump rallies knew the protesters would march on the Capitol. They knew some of the extremists might try to break through the perimeter, but they decided to trust the assurances of the Capitol Police that they could control the situation. Those reassuring words I heard from senior officials are, quote, I can see no situation where the cops can't handle it. This disaster didn't sneak up on the defense and justice departments and the mayor's office. They saw it approaching, but they thought six to 8,000 law enforcement officers available were adequate. They were wrong. That's my words. Now that looks like a wrong call. Law enforcement did indeed get the situation under control by Wednesday night, but that was only after the Capitol had been invaded and ransacked. The FBI, when he goes on to say, underestimated the number of protesters, predicting 20,000. They got more than double that. The Capitol Police didn't stand their ground. That's a problem. And the perimeter of the Capitol itself was left alone. In all that assessment, in the Washington Post, there was no sense—since they were white, they didn't think it would be a problem. And why why does race come into this? Why further divide the country? I I think that race does come into it. I think race— is part of American life, I think. Only if you want it to be. Only if you want it to be. You know, this morning I didn't like arguing with you because I don't like arguing with you because you're one of my favorite people on earth. But I think race infuses everything in this country. When I see an issue, I think of the race angle almost immediately. One of the great pleasures of my life was watching Donald Trump get increased African-American participation in his movement and in the Republican Party. They were, he was really starting something revolutionary that could have ended this racial divide in the country if he had been given another four years to, uh, to see it through. I think he could have ended the monopoly the Democratic Party has on the African-American vote. It could have changed everything in Georgia and so forth. And I also believe that President bears all the responsibility for losing those two Senate seats in Georgia. I, that's another conversation. But but, uh, I do too. 
I, I, I think in terms of the Capitol Police Chief was right to resign. I had on my, my little radio show here in Cleveland that immediately precedes uh, yours. I spoke to a guy from the Patriots of Northeast Ohio. They had eight buses, packed buses, that left Cleveland uh, at uh, 4 o'clock Wednesday morning and got to the Capitol at 9 o'clock, uh, and they waited for the president, who came on like around noontime or just after. Uh, so we had eight buses from Cleveland. It, it, a Boy Scout could have told you, uh, Cleveland sending eight buses, Arkansas is sending uh, 10 buses, uh, Louisiana is sending 50 buses, uh, the planes are packed with these people. I mean, how hard would it have been to anticipate the size of the crowd if anybody was in authority was paying attention? I mean, the FBI, the uh, uh, TSA, uh, the uh, the Metro cops, the Capitol cops, the uh, the officers of the guard. I mean, how could they not know that this was going to be a big, raucous, agreed right. group? So we agree I on that. The only thing we disagree with, I say incompetence, bad call, uh, bad no follow-up call. The mayor wasn't ready. The Capitol Police weren't ready. The FBI said they were ready. The Defense Department did not want a big military presence for domestic reasons. It doesn't seem like the military is, you know, Keep running the, the government. Keep them around the corner. I agree. Keep them, you know, uh, how hard is it to be to to be ready, particularly after what happened with the White House and the uh, the church across the street and all that, in the so-called Black Lives Matter uh, plaza. I mean, uh, after that, with the president having to go to the bunker, and now you have another, uh, you know, the sacred shrine of the capital of the United States. I mean, it's just it's sickening to me. So, uh, but I, I think the president still. Right now, if Nancy Pelosi would just uh, cool her jets and Schumer, too. I know. And maybe uh, the, the, uh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, by the way, is the, is the, has shown himself to be the most important, noble, effective politician in the country. Mitch McConnell has uh, basically been running the country for the last couple of weeks, uh, and he's done an excellent job. And Elaine Cho leaving as transportation secretary in protest, I think I totally understand that, because her husband took the burden of keeping the Congress of the United States, uh, you know, uh, following the rules and, and, and not getting out of hand. Uh, he kept the country together. Uh, he, and he, and he put the Senate back in session to finish the process of the, uh, yeah, of the electoral college her, uh, getting certified and so forth. But, McConnell but, did a great, great job. But Geraldo, she leaves and she just creates a vacuum for 12 days. Finish the job and give an interview after no, and say I, I was disappointed with the way you handled it. Just finish I, your I, job. I, I agree. I agree with that. The, the other thing I was thinking of, for the 25th Amendment, you need uh, the vice president plus a majority of the heads of the departments of government. In other words, a majority of the cabinet. There's not going to be anybody in the cabinet <laughs> at this pace. So, you know, it's uh, the vice president, I think, right now is the most important person in the country. Uh, but I, I do believe that Donald Trump can, and because the Bidens are gracious people, he can diffuse a lot of this right now by sending a note over to the Biden camp, could uh, the vice, could the president-elect and the, uh, the first lady-elect, can they come to the uh, White House on Wednesday? And if people know that he's going to go there on Wednesday gotcha. for lunch or something, I think it'll calm a lot of people down. Well, I know I've asked two people to ask him. 
whatever that means. And hopefully he'll do it. I'm sure he thought of it. Um, I did talk to him right after the election, and he said, no way, I won. But maybe now he feels differently. Geraldo, thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Brian. You know how I feel about you. Right, Brian. and back at you. It's just, just issues. That's what makes great radio. Appreciate it. Okay, all right, buddy. All right, uh, back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Civil rights revolutionary Martin Luther King Jr. once said, but in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? Over 50 years later, what is America still not hearing? Martin Luther King said riots are the the language of the unheard. Martin Luther King said it best, a riot is the language of the unheard. They're not interested in talking about when Dr. King said that a riot is the language of the unheard. And the implication there is if we listen better to communities and actually treat folks the way that they deserve, that we wouldn't be in these situations in the first place. So those are a series of comments about riots in the past, referring to Martin Luther King and taking direct quotes from him about riots of the people unheard. I don't think they should have stormed the Capitol. Uh, I thought the, the security should have been there. But you just can't go out and say, I'm for law and order and this is a riotous mob and not cite Minneapolis, Kenosha, New York City, Seattle, Portland, and say it's the same thing. So uh, I just uh, I'm I'm having trouble uh, digesting that. Uh, let's go to uh, Jimmy in Queens. I'll listen on WABC. Hey, Jimmy. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Love, love the show. Yeah, I was just listening to Geraldo, you know, and then I see you know Joe's quote yesterday. I mean, it's just inappropriate because it didn't happen. It wasn't that way. It wasn't as he said, black faces, and that shouldn't even be said. I mean, it's in other words, the security was low because they were white people. Number one, I no. guess I guess more white people vote for Trump, but there were black people uh, mixed in the mix. I, I now all of a sudden every channel they're talking about race, and then the, exactly. this vice president—it's unbelievable. It's so disheartening. It, it, I mean, the, next these, time something these, is race, I'm going to pay less attention. Well, some of these people too—you know—most of them were sitting in their homes, cooped up, out of jobs. No money, and they were pissed off because they did vote for Trump. And you got to take that into consideration too. You know, some of them were probably nuts. They've become alcoholics. It's 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 a, it's not a good thing that's been going on. And then and then you turn it to the race part, and what what could have been if it was this? It's totally wrong on all levels to, to say anything like that. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Appreciate your wise words. When we come back, that pandemic front and center. What's Fauci saying now? Where is the vaccine? Why is the mayor in this city in New York and maybe yours and the governor warring? From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We would much rather see states move as quickly as possible and use every possible avenue to meet demand as places like Florida are trying to do 
than to leave vaccines sitting in freezers. It would be much better to move quickly and end up vaccinating some lower priority people than to let vaccines sit around while states try to micromanage this process. Faster administration could save lives right now. HHS Secretary uh, Azar, uh, frustrated because the vaccines are there, the states uh, have it, the mayors are not using it, the states are not giving permission to use it, the freedom to vaccinate people that they deem necessary and a priority, uh, especially in New York where the mayor and governor are warring once again and we're paying the price. Dr. Marty McCarry joins us, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and a professor of health policy at St. Johns Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Dr. McCarry, what's the problem? Six million doses, but yet we have so many more. Well, great to be with you, Brian. You know, the CDC was so late, Brian, in issuing their guidance. They issued it two weeks after the vaccine was approved, five days before Christmas, they voted. They had nine months to work on it. And with that vacuum of sort of everybody relying on the FDA for guidance, guess what? Hospitals were confused. They're left in decision paralysis. They're trying to interpret a complex set of guidelines when we should really just be going to the oldest people down. So the CDC was very late. They also didn't distinguish the 23 million healthcare workers in the, in the United States from frontline healthcare workers uh, versus people who give Botox and are young and receptionists and hospital board members. And unfortunately, cronyism set in and, and hospitals are sitting on supplies because they got more vaccine than they have staff and fewer people are willing to take it than they anticipated, including some of us who are refusing to take it in principle until high risk Americans get it first. And then you add to that the fact that the government's been holding back 55 percent of the supply. So a lot of mistakes here made leading up to this point. A couple of things I hear. Don't give it to hospitals. You guys are overrun right now in many cases. The, you don't need to be a doctor to give the vaccine. Some Californians using dentists. Could we ask CVS to do what they, flew with the, they do with the flu shot? You show up there. Uh, what about uh, Walgreens and Rite Aid? Should we start saying, okay, 65 and up, go to your local pharmacy? Yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing. This is a regulation at the state level. States like New York have said that you need an RN to give the vaccine. We know, heck, a first-year medical student could give, a smart monkey could give this vaccine, Brian. I mean, you stick it a shot in, and I mean, we teach diabetics how to give shots to themselves and other folks. So we need to get rid of those these onerous regulations. We need to get it into pharmacies, grocery stores, other places that do shots. Hospitals do not do shots for the community. They've never done that. They only give the flu shot for their own staff. So the vaccine's in the wrong hands right now after we get the frontline COVID workers immunized. So if I look at pure numbers, West Virginia is doing the best. Uh, What are they doing? West Virginia is good. Yeah, so West Virginia and other places are, are encouraging their hospitals to say, look, we know you normally don't do community vaccinations, but we don't want anything sitting on the shelf. Just give it out to as many people as you can. Invite people in, call in high-risk groups, make it available to members of your community. Florida's doing a pretty good job doing that. The governor, as you know, has seen long lines of seniors who are high-risk and young 42-year-olds getting it. You know, if you're a 42, 42-year-old um receptionist at a cosmetic surgery clinic, you're first in the year for some reason in group 1A um, and 40 uh, year old firefighters are getting it first. 
And the, and the governor in Florida has said, this doesn't make sense. Let's just push it out to the older folks. That's the strategy Europe is using. That's the strategy that saves the most amount of lives. That's the strategy every hospital needs to adopt. As, as I wrote uh, recently, hospitals need to ignore all that CDC complex guidance with all the regulatory um, rules and complexities and just push it out to the highest risk Americans. And you say Florida has done that simple age-based strategy, which avoids confusion and streamlines messaging like uh, boarding uh, the boarding process. DeSantis uh, seeing long lines of high risk seniors appropriately concluded. It makes no sense for someone that's 42 to jump ahead of someone that's 70. So he stopped plus 29% of nurses don't want to take it, which is a little scary for us pedestrians without the medical background. What I think in New York, they're saying, can I just, the mayor says, and I have no respect for him, but he says, if I could just get the cops, 10,000 cops inoculated by Sunday, I could do it if I can get permission from the state. These are the sort of petty arguments about who's in 2A versus 2B versus 1B that are resulting in decision paralysis. And the hospitals are sitting around saying, we don't know, there's a fighting going on, we just... You know, tell us what to do. We're waiting on the guidance from the state. And guess what's happening? People are dying. Seniors are sitting ducks as these politicians debate these overly onerous complexities. It, honestly, Brian, if the CDC ACIP committee that does vaccine allocation never existed, we would have probably had this thing out faster rather than everybody relying on them and them coming out with this complex tiering structure. Look, we know there's high risk individuals, but let's get this thing out and and just use age as a simple strategy. And let's talk about something else, and that is many of these people got one shot. They need another shot. So some are saying, well, why give them another shot? Why don't we just get that 70%, get the number to be up to 70% good, and we'll give somebody else the second shot. The problem is the FDA approved it with the second shot coming in three weeks. And here's what the director of Operation Warp Speed said. I think it's not reasonable when vaccines have been developed with two doses given 21 days apart or 28 days given apart, and where we have the data on their safety and their efficacy. And we have no, uh, after two doses, we have no data after one dose if we leave people a month, two months, three months with maybe incomplete immunity, waning immunity, maybe even the wrong kind of immune response induced, changing the decisions made, the choices made, which was to give two doses of vaccine. The second dose gives you 10 times higher immune response Mm -hmm. than the first dose. Without any data, I think would not be responsible. So how do you handle this second shot? I'm I'm open to smart people making smart decisions, practical decisions. But how do you feel about what Dr. Zlawi said? Brian, we have to give out as many first doses as we can and forget about reserving doses for the second shot. Look, people are dying right now. We've lost 10% of our nursing home population, for Christ's sake, in the United States. I love Dr. Salawi. He's done a great job. But he's also part of that old school medical establishment that breaks everything down into we have data and we don't have data. But it's not that black and white. The reality is if you look closely at the numbers in those trials, like, for example, the Moderna vaccine trial, there was 62% protection after 14 days from the first dose, okay? And then when coming up to the second dose, people had an estimated 80 to 90% uh, effectiveness of the vaccine. So we do know the second dose increases the immunity, but it's not fair to say we don't know. There's no data on the partial immunity and people might not have complete immunity without the second dose. 
Heaven forbid people don't increase that protection from 80 to 95% and we save more lives by giving out more first doses. So it, it, I, I was horrified to hear the government is holding back 50% of the vaccine supply based on the recommendations of Dr. Salawi and Dr. Anthony Fauci and all that old school medical establishment. And they're also holding back an additional 5% as a so-called safety buffer. So we're, we've only given out 45% of the nation's vaccine supply. I think we need to rethink that strategy. And I'm part of a growing group of doctors saying so now publicly. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. So 5.3 million, some say it's over 6 now million have gotten at this pace. We're not going to have immunity, even with people who have the antibodies because they had it, knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, take three years to get the herd immunity. They get this country back on its feet. Now, you brought up Dr. Fauci. And I'm amazed. So without any medical training that you've had at Johns Hopkins, everywhere else, everything he says is something I could get from somebody without any medical training. He makes predictions and projections about what's happening in the news. They change depending on who asks what question. I can't believe somebody who's running this department can do so many interviews. And now we find out. In an interview with Axios on Monday, he says a lack of transparency by Chinese officials, particularly about the novel coronavirus transmission, about the fact that you can be asymptomatic, played a significant role in the COVID-19 spread outside China. Really? Well, it turns out they were preparing and you were preparing for the SARS-C uh, coronavirus vac- uh, 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 virus. Well, the people infected did not uh, – were, there were people infected with the SARS show symptoms. If you knew – that there were people who were going to be asymptomatic, you would have had different tests. But China never let us know, and they're still blocking the WHO with scientists on the ground today. That's exactly what President Trump was saying. And Anthony Fauci said, well, that's not important. Well, he was giving us wrong information because he wasn't getting all the information. Why is he saying this now when he could st- when we still don't know the answer to this? <laughs> Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci has served this country well in other epidemics like AIDS and Ebola, but he's gotten a halo where I guess I'm not allowed to criticize. None of us are allowed to criticize him, Brian. I mean, that's the impression I get because the media has ordained him the nation's top infectious diseases doctor. I don't know how you get that title. How how does the media choose? Is there a vote? Because (laughs) talk to the top infectious diseases, doctors at Johns Hopkins, Harvard, or any other place I've trained at, and they'll tell you the top infectious diseases doctor does not work in the federal government, okay? This is a media title, and it's the second Fauci criticized President Trump, then he became the darling of the media and the darling of the left. As you know, know, I'm independent. I'm speaking here impartially. But he became this person no one is allowed to criticize. Meanwhile, you and I have talked about this. Where was Dr. Fauci January 1st to March 11th? Never once sounded the alarm. Missed the entire pandemic, period. A bunch of us were out there, Scott Gottlieb, myself and others, on the airwaves, other places, saying, look, get ready. Start contingency plans. Maybe get ready to expand hospitals. We didn't know it was going to hit us. And Dr. Anthony Fauci was out there telling people, don't worry, don't wear a mask. He is a politician with an MD behind his name. And if you listen to what he says carefully, he's basically saying nothing, right? He says, well, if then possibly, then we could look back and reconsider whether or not this was effective. He says nothing. And, And sometimes he's educating people on masks well and appropriately. And I think he's doing good work. And other times I listen to him and I say, why is he on? He's a professional pundit. His full-time job is an interviewee. And on occasion, he helps with the administration 
of the NIH's Infectious Diseases Group, which, by the way, $50 billion is spent on laboratory research. Where was the basic clinical research on masks, on asymptomatic transmission, Thank you. on what day you're most infectious? Those were the research funds that were never allocated by Dr. Fauci and the NIH to study this pandemic. And therefore, in that vacuum in the spring, opinions poured in. That was the tragic flaw. Right. Uh, and thank you for saying that, because I have to pull sound bites. I always on Sunday shows, I, I have to uh, try to get sound bites to move this story forward. It's one of the, my three stories every day. And I get a ton from Scott Gottlieb. I get a ton from you. I sit there with my, with, on, my, uh, on my iPad waiting for him to say something that I need. I never get anything. And in fact, the third week in January, he's on with John Casamitidis, who owns uh, one of our affiliates, WABC. And he said this to John Casamitidis. What can you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about. He was talking about a COVID-19 virus. And if you're mad at Trump, Guess where he's getting his information from? I don't know if you've noticed, but Donald Trump is not a doctor, never wore a stethoscope. Well, if you are wondering why Trump was slow, that's his advisor. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, um, I was calling into the White House in February and March, and I, I, I understand Scott Gottlieb, who's a friend of mine, was doing the same. And we were having these conversations, and we were repeatedly told that Dr. Fauci does not think that this is an issue, that the career physicians within the government who are the, the authorities on this were saying that the uh, influenza-like illness surveillance network was not showing a, an increase, and therefore it, we, there was nothing really to do differently. Well, that network was not never designed for to study coronaviruses, and we know that the hospitalization upticks are staggered. So we hit a lot of walls behind the scenes. And, you know, it's something I don't talk publicly about, but it was very frustrating, Brian. Uh, and I feel your frustration. I, I hear it uh, when you hop on TV and radio. I mean, you're not there to win viewers. You're there to give information and you think what could have been. Uh, you know, I, I hope for better. You know better. And that's why um, that's why I can hear the frustration in your voice. Hopefully and, we you know, make Brian, the adjustments. We're see- we saw it a little sneak peek of of. of of that old guard medical establishment with Dr. Fauci, with the new strain now from the UK and South Africa, immediately folks uh, like ourselves were talking about, hey, do we need to really clamp down on that travel from these stations? And Fauci went out there and basically said, well, he's probably already in the United States. Where's the sense of urgency (laughs) with this whole thing? I heard that. I remember that thinking to myself, really? Okay. I guess we're giving up. what do you think he was telling the president back in January and February, if that's what he's saying now? Right. And the president, I don't know if you heard, but uh, he's got short attention. You, you, you mislead him a couple of times, you're out. Uh, <laughs> and that's basically what he did. Uh, Dr. McCarry, thanks so much. Great to be with you, Brian. All right. Uh, back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So this news just in, a little disappointing, but not unexpected. To all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Uh, Trump will then become, when he does not show, uh, he will then become the fourth president to not attend the successive inauguration. You got John Quincy Adams who didn't show up after Andrew Jackson beat him. Uh, you have Andrew Johnson who didn't show after, uh, I think he was almost impeached. In ja- uh, I imagine Ulysses S. Grant took over. Uh, John Adams, after he lost to Thomas Jefferson, did not show up. So the, those are the four. Is that the only four? Is that the, what was the last one? Okay, I mentioned four. That's disappointing. Uh and I guess he's not going to be inviting uh, Joe Biden over either. Uh, Lewis in West Palm Beach. Hey, Lewis. Yes, thanks, Brian. I wanted to just uh, comment on Geraldo. Very, very disappointed the way Geraldo thinks. So I happen to be, you know, obviously an American, but I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I happen to be Puerto Rican from New York. My uncle palled around with him for years. And I got to tell you, he thinks in terms of color. He, he says that he's a Republican. But to say, and to to stay to say that if if it was Black Lives Matter, that yeah. they would have been treated differently is a racial comment, which means that he thinks in racial terms, even though he's not but, an African American. But, but I know, but Lewis, know, he was he, just being honest. Yeah. He says every story he thinks about it that way. He's a newsman by trade, and he came up in the '60s, cut his teeth there as a lawyer and the activist, and then uh, then as an on-air superstar. So that's just how he feels. But he's reflecting so many body else, everybody else in the other channels. So he's not in a vacuum. But I, I agree. We disagree. But I, but I think he's the greatest guy. I, I would. He's the guy you want to be in a foxhole with. He'll he'll fight you to the death to defend you. He. The other thing that Geraldo's great at, he defends. Not he's not just hanging out with John Lennon. He cares about the PAs and the associate producers and the lighting people. I've seen it over and over again. Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York City. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Shannon Bream is queued up. She's going to be hosting at 11 o'clock tonight, doing great coverage of all this breaking news. And Dana Prino at the bottom of the hour. We have a lot of stuff to go over, including news that just crossed that the President Trump has made it clear he will not. He just said, for those of you who have asked, I will not be attending the inauguration. I think that's bad. Uh, I, I just do. There's been controversy behind. I really love the way we hand off each other. Uh, John Quincy Adams, John Adams did the same thing. Um, also, Andrew Johnson, a disaster of a president, uh, also didn't show up for Ulysses S. Grant. We also have some other breaking news. Police Commissioner Shea, uh, oh, here in New York City, has tested positive for COVID-19. He's doing well. He's in touch with his executive staff on a regular basis, staying home, and he's uh, still running the police department. So it sounds like he is somewhat asymptomatic. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It would be much better to move quickly and end up vaccinating some lower priority people than to let vaccines sit around while states try to micromanage this process. 
No kidding. Secretary Azar, kind of desperate. He gave everybody the vaccine. A lot of them are not using it. Pick up the pace. The vaccines are here. Can Cuomo and company start using it? At this rate, three years it'll take for herd immunity. We've only given out 6.5 million. And suddenly, Anthony Fauci tells us China lied about the virus. And because they did, we could not have prepared to defend against the virus. Hasn't Donald Trump been saying that? Number two. The president of the United States incited an armed insurrection against America. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. Terrible. The fallout from the Capitol invasion, widespread and impactful. Uh, Bringing us together, showing no leadership. How about partisanship? Pelosi and Schumer. Hey, geniuses, he's gone in 13 days. You don't need to start impeachment hearings. You don't need to talk about the 25th Amendment. We all know the entire party went silent when the riots were raging in the spring and summer. Now you're Mr. and Mrs. Law and Order. I'm not buying it. Number one. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. All right, uh, let's see. Donald Trump saying it yesterday. It was right on the money. It might have been too late. The Trump team heads for the exits. It looks like Pat Cipollone, uh, Cipollone who's a, a valuable legal member of the, te- the president's legal team, might be heading for the exits. Elaine Chao heading for the exits. I'm not respecting that. Finish your job. Nobody cares about your symbols. Uh, can the president's concession speech actually bring this country together? Shannon Bream, it was the speech the president was, many people thought the president would be giving around November 10th. It came in uh, the first week in January. Yeah, and after a very tumultuous week, um, listen, I think at this point, anything the president does, as has been for most of his four years, is just not going to be accepted by certain people. Um, you know, you got to think there are even those who want him to keep fighting, who are, are on his side, who aren't happy about the tone of that speech. Um, I just think he's kind of in no man's land yet uh, now. I mean, he's only got uh, less than two weeks to go and plenty of critics. Yeah, I mean, I like the speech. It was right on the money. Um, I know, you know, nobody likes to lose. I've had far too much experience. I'm a little better at it. But the president doesn't. And, you know, we've seen this in the past, but I'm a little disappointed, but not surprised he's not going to the inauguration. But it looks like early indications are the vice president will be. What does that say about their relationship? What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a schism, I think, over the last uh, few weeks, and especially this week, you know, with uh, Senator Inhofe saying that he talked about, talked with Pence the day that they were going into the Electoral College votes, which ended up in the riots. Um, And he said that he'd never seen Pence that angry. He's a very controlled guy. You know, if you've spent any time with him, um, he's very measured and he's very even. So for him to be that angry, you know, he's kind of at the end of his rope. Um, But I think at the end of this term, um, Pence had to do what he thought was right, and he thought he did not have a legal or constitutional authority to do what the president was asking of him. So he had to, you know, draw the line there, and it obviously upset the president. And then his treatment of the vice president, who stood by him through thick and thin for four years, obviously very much upset Pence. I think that, um, listen, Pence is a very forgiving guy. Um, I think he likes to take the high road, so I think that he will be one to – um, try to make peace and make this thing uh, as smooth as it can be. But we know that President Trump um, does not forget things that he perceives as a betrayal or a slight. So I think it's going to be a difficult relationship moving forward. But 
they only have to be um, in sync for about 10 more days. So a couple of things are happening. It's announced today, another network reporting that they're going to go for impeachment hearings on the president next week. What the heck is the point of that? Of course, it'll pass the House, I believe. And then in the Senate, according to George Conway, uh, the one, I guess, Kellyanne Conway's husband, I have no idea how they do that, but he says they have 67 votes to oust him, what, five days early? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's going to seem to the 75 million people who voted for President Trump like a slap in the face to them. I don't know that it helps unite the country. You know it doesn't. Because they're going to be. You know it doesn't. That's the thing is that are are you going to do something like this that will only deepen that divide of people who feel like they haven't been taken seriously, that they're being cast aside, that they're going to have no voice now that the Democrats control Senate House and White House. Um, so I don't know that you want to pour gasoline on that fire by then doing something that's mostly symbolic. They say they're going to do it so that uh, President Trump can't run again in four years if he chose to. Um, I don't know if it's worth tearing the country apart to make your point. I think that, listen, he's going. He said he's going to go. You got 74, 75 million people who supported him and voted for him. And if you do this impeachment thing again, I think it's only going to help um, make the case that he's been making the whole time about, um, you know, the fact that there are there's half of the country that doesn't respect the other half of the country and doesn't care what they have to say. And if those people continue to feel more marginalized, where you have anchors saying, oh, just go back to your Holiday Inns and Olive Gardens, that's insulting. And it's, it's certainly not unifying. And by the way, what you're referring to is that newsman. Uh, Anderson Cooper, you know, they just do the news over there. They don't give commentary. Uh, Here is Mm -hmm. Anderson Cooper yesterday. Look at them. They're high-fiving each other for this deplorable display of of completely unpatriotic, completely against law and order, completely unconstitutional behavior. It's stunning. And they're going to go back, you know, to the Olive Garden and to the Holiday Inn that they're staying at and the Garden Marriott and... They're going to have some drinks, and they're going to talk about the great day that they had in Washington, and they really did something and stand up for something. And they stood up for nothing other than mayhem. Even though he stays at the Four Seasons and eats at Del Frisco's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess, you know, when you grew up a Vanderbilt, uh, these horrible people that go to Olive Gardens, what could they possibly why – they, why are they even in this country? I mean, my family, we didn't even go to Olive Garden. We didn't go out to eat. If I got straight A's on my report card, I got to go to McDonald's. You know what I mean? I was Arthur Treach's fish and chips was my treat. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, exactly. Arthur Treach's. I love it. So when you diss the country, and by the way, the unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks is unbeatable in Olive Garden. I think we can all agree on that. Absolutely. Um, I don't know why you have to throw those things in that are insults. Now, listen. None of us approve of in any way or think it's okay that you break into the Capitol and destroy things and deface and all of that. None of those people okay. But there are, I think, a significant majority of people who came here to march to support the president waving American flags and Trump flags. We're not talking about the bad people. Um, and So when you see these people who are marching through the streets and you're making fun of them because of where they stay and what they can afford and where they go eat, that is just – it proves the point about the elitist and about what these people came here to march about and what they're so frustrated about. You're making their point for them. So it doesn't help to, you know, get us anywhere that we need to be, which is trying to find common ground, trying to calm things down, trying to say, 
everybody in this country has a voice. We're Americans. We listen to each other. We respect each other. I think we're all made in the image of God, and that should be enough to get our attention. Um, but I think when you have, as you said, news anchors saying things that to a lot of people, to millions of people are going to feel disparaging, it's just not helpful. Yeah, I actually went out um, a couple of times. I probably went out three times in my youth. One time was Jerry Philbin. He was a defensive end with the New York Jets. He had uh, Jerry Philbin's um, – he had a steakhouse. And we went there, oh, and I ordered the I ordered the field goal, which was a Salisbury steak, which I don't know. <laughs> and that's that sounds like a good budgetary. Right. And then we would, and yeah, and then we would talk about it for years. Remember that time we went out to eat? I bet you that's why Anderson Cooper amazing. didn't hang out with me because he was well, at the I mean, Four you guys Seasons. Did not run in the same circles growing up. I'm not <laughs> right. going to lie. I wasn't even allowed near his circle. Did you have any of the Gloria Vanderbilt jeans? Do they make those for guys? Is that just for ladies? Um, put it this way. I've never felt more myself than when I'm wearing Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. So I don't know. <laughs> Nothing gets between you and your Vanderbilt. Exactly. Uh, so the security failures at the Capitol. Ben Sassweed mm-hmm. in, cut 37. I have been involved in an investigation that started last night trying to understand why the National Guard was not deployed when the People's House was under assault. Because I want to understand what was happening when the mayor of D.C. and ultimately, uh, your previous story mentioned the failures of the the Capitol Police, and that's obviously true. An investigation has already been launched there. But when the mayor and the chief of police were calling on the Pentagon to make sure that they were getting the backup they needed uh, from the National Guard, The National Guard wasn't deployed. For hours as the House was being taken over, uh, the the Capitol, the House and the Senate, were being taken over by these violent uh, thugs. Um, The National Guard wasn't being deployed. We need to know why that happened. They were ultimately deployed. But where was the president in that process? The president, what they say, was the one calling for the National Guard. The vice president said they did it, too. I talked to Kayleigh McEnany that night. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what the Washington Post said. Officials who planned for the Wednesday pro-Trump rallies knew the protesters were taking place. They knew they would march on the Capitol. They knew that some of the extremists might try to break through the perimeter, but they decided to trust the assurances of the Capitol Police that they could control the situation. Those reassuring words uh, from senior officials are now haunting them. I can see, this is the words, I can see no situation where the cops can't handle it. The disaster did not sneak up on the Defense and Justice Department and the mayor's office. They saw it approaching, but they thought the six to 8,000 law enforcement officers available were adequate to handle the problem. What are people telling you? Well, yeah, I mean, we've heard conflicting reports from that day as it was unfolding and, uh, until now. I mean, I think we all want to know the results of the investigations as soon as possible. But we've been told, too, that there were other things offered, like FBI agents and others, and they were turned down. I mean, prior to this happening and playing out, uh, I'm also told, and, and listen, this is from administration sources that say when the National Guard was requested, it was immediately authorized. So we need to know where the breakdown is there. Were the troops authorized, as we've been told by the administration? If so, why didn't we see them as quickly as we saw it? Where was the, you know, were they organizing? Were they uh, lining up? I don't, I don't know what was happening. It would be nice to know, but we have been told that um, there were numerous agencies that were offered prior to what happened on Wednesday, and people thought things were 
had big, um, we have huge demonstrations, you know, in D.C. all the time. And in the past, when you had these freedom or, or, or um, you know, Keep America Great marches or whatever the Trump things have been, um, they have been, uh, you know, authorities would say they've been good crowds. They clean up after themselves. They're not destructive. They're not lighting things on fire. So I do think that probably a lot of folks thought ahead of what was coming on Wednesday. Listen, we know these guys are going to be here and make noise and wave flags and do their thing. But they're not going to encroach on property and cause trouble because that's out of character from what we've seen from all the other events pretty much here in D.C. with respect to President Trump supporters. So I think a lot of people were caught off guard. But again, in any case, even if you're caught off guard, what's the backup plan? Where is how do you stop incursion into the U.S. Capitol? Because, I mean, we keep talking about this, but what if it had been an organized um, foreign terror entity, you know, equipped with bombs and rocket launchers and whatever? I mean, what was the plan for stopping people from uh, kidnapping or assassinating members of Congress I know. or staffers working up there? I mean, you have to think you've got to prepare for every contingency when you're talking about federal buildings and members of Congress and the White House, um, you know, here in D.C. So, you know, we keep hearing, you know, there are going to be mass firings and this and the other. We've had a number of resignations from key people. Um, I think we'll continue to see more of that. But I do want to know yeah. the truth about where were the troops, uh, the National Guard troops? Were they turned down? Were these FBI agents turned down? If not, if they were activated, where were they? I mean, we all have questions. You do. Uh, thanks so much, Shannon. You're doing a killer job. I really appreciate it. I feel like I should be tipping you every night because you helped me set up this show and our show in the morning uh, coming off your show. Because I watched the repeat. It is my it is my pleasure. I'll see you tonight. All right. Go get them. Shannon Bream, appreciate it. Back in a moment with your calls, one 408 Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The reason Joe Biden was elected president is because he promised to unite the country and end the division. And here is an opportunity, actually, to unite the country because we now have a situation where conservatives and Democrats and liberals and Republicans are all condemning what happened in the United States Capitol. There's no division in terms of what, what how we see it. And quite frankly, every respectable conservative I know has placed the blame for, uh, for what happened at Donald Trump's feet, for inciting this violence, for calling this, this mob into, into Washington and sending them to the Capitol. Um, and so, you know, why would Joe Biden now turn around and try and inject race and division into this into this moment. It's so stupid. Uh, and I was complimenting him yesterday because so his comments were right on. He's not picking up this whole 25th Amendment crap that they're bringing up. And then he says, oh, by the way, the crowd would have been handled differently if they were if they were a black crowd. Joe is listening on WABC. Joe. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, just wanted to briefly comment on the uh, mass rally at uh, Capitol Hill. Now, the idea that the protesters were being coddled by the police because they were white does not exactly fit the facts. You have to take into consideration that a martyr at that uh, movement or mass rally, uh, Ashley Babbitt, she was murdered by Capitol Police. 
Uh, and again, she was unarmed. She was not a threat to the Capitol Police. And clearly the representatives inside the chamber were already evacuated. While they were protecting somebody important, why was she jumping through a window? Why was she there to begin with? Go, go stay on a White House, stay on the outside. You have no right to breach into that building. Ron, let's see on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Ron. Hey, hey, listen, Brian, I think that what Pelosi and Schumer um, are doing are waking up a sleep, sleeping giant. And, and what I'm saying, what I mean by that is the people that were at the Capitol building, they're going to be a small percentage of what they're provoking. They are self-righteous idiots who are creating provocation to a man who did nothing but good for this country. Yes, he aired on Wednesday and previously, but they're not without sin. They're not without culpability, and their histories are a lot more uh, bad. Maybe it's me, Ron. I'm not sure who who you're referring to. You're talking about the people that invaded the Capitol? No, the people that stood up and and wanted, you know, just went there to protest and, and, and seek Trump speak. That right. was a small number of people that were, you know, quiet. The ones that breached the building, they were wrong. And Thank you. Know, you you make that. total sense. You could support the president and admit that that was wrong and over the top. And that's unbelievable if you say that, how angry people get. But I'm glad you had the courage to say it. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Since the moment he announced for office, it has been all about Donald Trump all of the time. And the effect on us has been noticeable. We've gone from being this big, sprawling continental country with an enormous span of concerns and interests to a kind of sweaty, airless chat room of 330 million people, all of whom are simultaneously focused with monomaniacal intensity on a single man, Donald Trump. That is not healthy, no matter how you feel about Trump. But at some point, you've got to wonder about where our country is putting all of its energy. Is any single president, anyone, worth all of this time and attention? All politicians, whether you agree with them or not, come with a shelf life. They're people. They don't last forever. None of us do. Part of the monologue from Tucker Carlson saying, listen, just take a step back for a second. Everybody's obsessed with Donald Trump. How it relates to Donald Trump? A lot of it has to do with the fact that he does a ton of press conferences, always available. We'll do the interviews, even with enemy uh, enemy uh, publications, outlets. And sometimes think Barack Obama and President Bush would go months without uh, doing even a press conference. And Ronald Reagan never wanted to do a press conference. Uh, joining me now is someone who knows that, that that issue and has opinions on this, Dana Perino. She does The Five, does her own show at two. I don't know what she likes better. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of that now. Uh, but, mm-hmm. Dana, welcome back. Hi, how are you? Have you ever seen an obsession like this, the way Donald Trump, whether treated good or bad, uh, over the last three years? No, does Tucker I, have I, a I point? Thought, Tucker has a great point. It's something that I've been thinking about for a long time, and um you know, when people would get so riled up on either side, I would just say, like, politics is not who we are. Um, and the country was founded on an idea, not about a person. That was like the whole concept of the United States of America. So I think that Tucker had a great point. Yes. 
So uh, where they go from here, how do you feel about what Nancy Pelosi's doing in a time in which I naively thought there would be a sense of we hit rock bottom, we might be coming together? The next day, we find out the 25th Amendment, Mike Pence, please do it. If not, I'll impeach him. And in fact, we'll move next week uh, with articles of impeachment for the House. Do you think that's going to bring the country together? Well, no, and I think that it might have the opposite effect of what Nancy Pelosi wants, which is it would cause some Republicans who are extremely angry about what happened on Wednesday and um, place blame at the president's feet. It would cause them to you know, join ranks and uh, pre- prevent that from happening. However, Brian, I, I would point out that um, the Wall Street Journal editorial page today does says he should resign or that they should move forward with impeachment. Which is not nuts. Not because that's ridiculous. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's not just Nancy Pelosi. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a time in which, you know, she's going to have to deal with Republicans, I think. She's got a, a 10-person advantage. She has a and, very slim majority, very slim. And, and you know, the, the squad and others like to do their own thing. They also have a moderate uh, they, they have a moderate group that pushed her to do something on coronavirus all summer, and they started to unite and started doing some bottom-up legislation. So not, that's not going away. And now she's perceived a little weaker in her final two years, we, we assume. So, Well, she did get a little bit of a boost, though, in that both of those Georgia um, Senate races went to Democrats. So whereas before they would have had no chance of passing any possible thing that would be so radical, now the chances of that at least goes up a little bit and the squad will push her, even though she knows that it will hurt her politically. And I think that Kevin McCarthy is well set up to become the Speaker of the House in 2022. But if you remember back in remember uh, 2009 and 2010, uh, Barack Obama had uh, a presidency with Democrats and in the majority in both the House and the Senate, and he got, he got a lot done, um, and one of those things was Obamacare that we still argue about today. But in 2012, if you recall, the Republicans came back with a vengeance and won all those races. Dana Prino, our guest. Dana, I watched Trent Lott on yesterday, and he, was, he and Tom Daschle were in charge the last time the Senate was 50-50, and they shared committee chairmanships. Is that going to happen they today? Did. I don't think so. I mean, I remember that very well because I was there in D.C. at the time. And that just seemed um, at the time normal and the right thing to do and agreeable. (laughs) And I I just I think um, that the Democrats are going to try to give it to the Republicans as much as the Republicans gave it to them for the last four years. And that's just what happened. And then it goes back and forth like that. Hopefully people can come together on important issues. One, of course, our national security, making sure that is secure, but also on the things that really, really need to happen, especially for people all across America who have suffered either job loss or income loss uh, in this last year because of coronavirus. Interesting, uh, because wasn't there a Republican president and didn't he have a Republican vice president? You mean it went in back in 2000? Yeah. So why why did Trent Lott why did President Bush and Trent Lott even give them chairmanships? Was that a sense of bipartisanship that they didn't have to didn't have to engage in? I wasn't there for those discussions. I mean, I don't remember. I came on board right after nine eleven, but um, just my instincts from knowing those people at the time, and we're talking twenty years ago, 
Um, we've all said that our politics have gotten much more corrosive and caustic and partisan. And I think that at that time, maybe things were just a little bit more uh, reasonable than they are now and sensible. But I don't think you're going to see sharing of committee assignments. Absolutely not. And I also think that many of the investigations that Republicans have that are not finished yet, those will probably dry up once those committees change over. So I was uh, struck by the fact, I know you know, uh, you've talked to and interviewed Mark Zuckerberg a couple of times, right? Got a chance to know mm-hmm. him. You went to an event that he had or a briefing that he gave, and you also interviewed mm-hmm. him. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, he has decided that Donald Trump, it will be banned from Facebook and Instagram for the next two weeks and maybe forever. Twitter, same thing. And also Shopify and a few other sites cannot sell Donald Trump things. I have a huge mm-hmm. problem with this. Here's what Jonathan Turley said, cut 44. I'm sort of a fervent First Amendment advocate, and so I oppose these types of actions. I think that the solution for bad speech is good speech. Uh, but what is worrying to me is that the Democratic Party has really become a party of censorship, which is astonishing. The Democratic Party was always an advocate for free speech. It's now done an entire 180. It's become the party that is calling for censorship and speech limits. And you had Senate hearings where you had social media CEOs admit that they made a mistake on the Hunter Biden issue, admit that it shouldn't have happened. The Democratic senators responded by demanding assurances that they will continue to censor those types of stories. I mean, we know Josh, uh, you know, uh, Josh Hawley is looked at as an up and comer, Tom Cotton, but they say things that many Democrats find incendiary. Are they going to get banned? Uh, I mean, uh, is Ron DeSantis, who does some things unorthodox, according to maybe what the CDC does when it comes to this coronavirus, if he tweets out, follow me, do X, Y, Z, is he going to get banned? I mean, don't you do you have do you have a reason to be concerned, too, or is it is it just me? I don't have anything that I would say I would disagree with when, in, as to what Jonathan Turley just said. I absolutely agree with that think that one of the things that you know we you and I can think that and then we're not we're not in that position of being uh, the person that is being accused of um, being the platform that incites violence and I think that they're constantly trying to figure out a way to um, manage their platforms in a way that is responsible in their minds um, but they keep running up against these problems um, I do think that it's quite ridiculous to think that uh, Donald Trump's Twitter should be banned or ended, but the Ayatollahs is fine in Iran. And they try to split that hair by saying that, well, it's just about more about domestic policy. Like, all of those things don't make sense. And the laws don't keep up with technology. It moves much faster. And I also think the technology companies are recognizing that, you know, they are going to be in a very different world. When you have Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Josh Hawley, on the same side of regulation changes or legislative changes in dealing with the technology companies, in my experience, a bipartisan effort like that usually can work. And you have a situation now where obviously tempers are running very hot. Technology is moving faster. One thing that really bothers me, Brian, is the whole Shopify thing. And that goes to something that has also happened. And actually Barack Obama pushed back against this as well. And that was, There was a movement by some on the left to try to prevent oil companies from doing financial transactions, like uh, pressuring banks not to do business with oil companies or any sort of petroleum company. And 
the Obama administration actually pushed back on that because it's obviously so wrong. Um, but to me, that's what Shopify did. And when you start politicizing commerce, that's also really bad, in addition to freedom of speech. So here it is. Companies limiting or monitoring President Trump. Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Snapchat, and Shopify. You can't sell goods, uh, Trump merchandise, and his signature Make America Great Again hats. Uh, they're going to be removed from that platform. Uh, they're going to remove Trumpstore.com and shop.donaldtrump.com. They're permanently banned. So I would just love to see the left-wing Democrat squad member saying something incendiary or what they deem incorrectly banned. If you were starting to shadow ban both and then flat out ban both, then I would think there's going to be an equal impetus to get things done. But as long as they're limiting the most powerful people on the right, I have, I have no reason to believe that people on the left are motivated to get this under control. I think, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the, 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 the commerce piece really bothers me as well. Um, and the thing that's different between what I just mentioned, the example about the oil companies and the banks, is that I don't know – who regulates Shopify. Um, it was a SEC that regulates the banks that stepped in and said, you cannot discriminate against companies. Um, so that one, I think, to me, that one was actually really bad and, and a very bad precedent for moving forward. Look, it's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This has been one of the most agonizing weeks. I know. Um, and 2021 was terrible. Um, there's no excuses for what happened on Wednesday. Um, when I hear about the things, you know, reading more of the coverage, um, the things that were witnessed about urinating on the Capitol building, like, that is just so awful. I did not hear that. And I think that that happened was that you, you know, all of these images were there for everyone to see. You can see it for yourself. You don't have to guess. Uh, last thing, President has a couple of things. This just in. The Biden administration plans on not holding back second shot vaccines. They want to get as many first shots into as many people as possible. So that's going to be a strategic medical decision. Number two, the president announced about a half hour ago, since everyone keeps asking, I will not be attending the inauguration. It looks like the vice president is. Uh, I don't like that idea. All he has to do is look over his shoulder and see Andrew Jackson there after a bitter loss, even getting more votes than John Quincy Adams. He still showed up at the inauguration, and he came back and beat him four years later. I would love for him to take that pattern. What are your thoughts? I think that Donald Trump's going to do whatever he wants to do. And I think that this week and what happened on Wednesday, inciting the violence, would mean it would be very hard then to have him there at the Capitol building. Um, I think it would be very hard. And, of course, I don't think that also gives you the chance to move on because he is, um, as we started out this segment, as Tucker Carlson said, all of the attention has been on President Trump. And he has been the world in which we all revolve around. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing to happen on the 20th. If you know he doesn't want to be there. He has never congratulated uh, Joe Biden on the win, even though he did um, do the concession video last night. Um, and I think for, for President Trump at this point, he should do as much as he can for a peaceful transition of power and go. And then you know, he's going to have a, a great post-presidency for himself. He's very healthy. He's got a ton of energy. He's got a big following. He'll have platforms from which to speak. 
And I think not going to the inauguration is just, you know, it's a, a part of this other thing that he's a disruptor. And it, disruptors come in all shapes and sizes. And it's just something really interesting to live through in history. Right. And did, I know you, President Bush will be going. Laura Bush will be going. Have you spoken to them? I have not spoken to them. I do think it's interesting that, um, and good, I think that Vice President Pence is going. My hunch, Brian, is that Vice President Pence and Donald Trump will probably never speak to each other again for the rest of their lives. Why? What have you heard? Well, they haven't spoken since. And I think that there's a lot. Obviously, the president feels betrayed and Pence feels betrayed. And he feels like he did his uh, duty and has and fulfilled his oath of office. And that if you read, Brian, of what was being chanted um, by some of the rioters, where's Pence? Where's Pence? You know, could that have might got be him. hard to swallow. Could have got him killed. Yeah. Um, Dana Perino, good point. And I do have some sad news. I don't know if you had a chance yeah. to meet Tommy Lasorda. He has just passed away. Um, oh, no. Oh, he, I did. I actually got to meet him in the green room one time, and he was so, so lovely. He's a big Fox fan. He is 93 yeah. years old. He beat the coronavirus, but evidently suffered a cardiopulmonary, wanted to cardiopulmonary arrest at his mm-hmm. home at 10 o'clock last night. He was transported Aww. to the hospital. He was resuscitated with resuscitation in progress. He was pronounced dead at 1057. Great guy. Uh, time was what an American patriot he was, and I just and a, such a character, a lovely person, and a, what the, he had such a great smile. Every day was uh, was the biggest day. Every time you see him was the be- biggest day. Was the biggest moment. Uh, Dana Perino, uh, we had we, a lot of breaking news while we had this casual conversation. Uh, <laughs> so good luck at two. You have a lot to talk about. Plenty. I have a Dan Bongino and Geraldo Rivera on one segment together. So wish me luck. Well, good luck with that, and I'll add, I'll add this to it. Dan Bongino has left Twitter. He has uh, he, he co-founded Parler, so he's going exclusively. That's big news after what happened. I went on uh, Parler. I mentioned it today. I cannot believe how many people are on that uh, and how many people are seeing what's happened to the president and leaving Twitter. So big tech, a big story, um, and we'll see what happens. Dana. One of the Twitter won't get regulated is because there is competition, and you can go other places, and it's free. Good point. And then, of course, you have the five. I'll be with you on the five next Monday and Tuesday. Dana, thanks so much. Can't wait to see you. Bye-bye. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Everything's on the line. That's what they said. And when people fought... They came to fight, and then they fought Capitol Police, and now people are dead. And those same members of Congress who called people to fight, well, they were nowhere to be found because it was all fun and games to them. They never knew what a real fight was. Real fights are scary. Bullets flying, that's scary. The glass breaking, that's really scary. They were nowhere to be found. They scattered. They'd been talking about the courage to stand up to this, the courage to fight for weeks and weeks, but when it came down to it, there was no courage. That is uh, Dan Crenshaw, who knows all about courage as a Navy SEAL, uh, and he was not criticizing Cruz and Hawley. He says they were not hyping up about January 6th. They were not calling people to fight in the streets. They were not saying this is our last stand. That being said, many members of Congress did do that. Uh, the president did say, you know, this is uh, something big's going to happen. He used terms he always uses, but they never had in the format a march to the Capitol. That's the difference. The president's speech was pretty typical, and it's always aggressive. That's how he got elected. But I love that he made his remarks yesterday 
I am just stunned they really are going to push forward with an impeachment next week, reportedly. Uh, but we'll have every set of it. But they'll get people right behind the president again if they try that. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be on Gutfeld over the weekend. You can follow me now on Parler as well as all the other platforms. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.